Welcome to Our Jewish Roots with Bible teaching from Israel by Dr. Jeffrey Seif. On today's program, we begin our look at the women of the Bible in our series, She Shall Be Called Woman. But I found favor with him. And, and now, true success is not measured in wealth and power, but in the estate of one's heart. I've never been happier and more fulfilled. I raised him up strictly in the faith, and more. the law and the prophet. And now I want to give something back. I believe Elohim meant it to be this way. She's still a cornerstone of wisdom to the family. But you are always in my heart. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm David Hart. I'm Kirsten Hart. I'm Jeffrey Seif. So we brought you many series recently of men in the Bible, but this series is about women in the Bible. We need the women, don't we? Yeah, years ago I, I <laughs> kind of weighed in on it and wanted to bring the story forth, and I'm glad to do it. Yes. It's a retake of what was done some years ago, but the title, She Shall Be Called Woman, resonates in today's culture in ways that didn't exist when we first titled it. Which is very interesting. I am a woman, I think that's obvious, and I love women, but we do have a certain role in the world and, and biblically, and I'm kind of good with that, and we're gonna discuss some of, uh, should I say the most famous women in the Bible, but ones that portray a godly woman figure. Is that right? Yes. Now, and I sheepishly get into wanting to talk to women about what constitutes being a proper woman. I'm hardly an authority, but as a, as a Bible scholar, as a Bible teacher, I just want to look at the literature and bring it forth and uh, the authorities there. Well, we appreciate you uh, teaching from the Bible on a woman's role and we're going to look at someone now, aren't we? Right. We take you now to the very first woman in the Bible. Her name is Eve. Let's go there now. My first memories of life are not like any other. I remember awakening in the garden. Everything was new and fresh the sweet fragrance of honeysuckle, the tranquil melody of the lark, the pleasant fruit on the trees. Elohim led me through this glorious paradise to a peculiar creature, one just like me. You see, I was not born from a mother and father. I came forth from a man. The moment he looked upon me, I saw his sorrow and loneliness turn to joy. His heart was now whole. My husband, my friend, my love, joined in union for life, joined together as one. The Bible's a beautiful book. 
in the book Bereshit, what we call Genesis, Moses is on record, Bereshit, Barolahim HaShemayim V'yat HaRetz. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We're told as well that, The earth, it was void, but the Spirit of God was moving over the face of the waters. God is said to have been in a very creative mood over a number of days, each of which ends, It was evening, it was morning, day one, day two, day three, etc. Finally, we get to the end of that creative unction in chapter 2, verse 1. That God had made it all and that he then settled down to rest some. It's interesting, you know, God was in the mood to rest. However, things were just cranking up for you, mankind. We're told, in fact, in chapter 1, verse 26, before the rest, God says, uh, uh, Moses says, uh, that God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, out of the earth. There's eretz, as in land, or uh, there's the word in Hebrew, afar, like the dust. But then there's this earthy substance in Hebrew, adama, the very soil, the essence of the planet, if you will. And God reaches down, and from the Adama, from the earth, God makes Adam, he makes Adam. It's a fascinating story. In fact, in the opening salvo, we're told that God made Adam in his image and his likeness, but not just Adam alone. Along with Adam came Cheva, Adam and Eve. We're told that man and woman, he created them. While we're interested in creation generally, we're particularly interested in the creation of holy matrimony. When God reached out to Adam and made him, observed within him was that it was not good for that man to be alone, and that he was to be complemented by the creation of Cheva, Eve, who was made by God, who came forth from him. It's an interesting combination. And it's the relationship between a man and a woman. It's the woman's contribution to the man and to life that'll be the object of our contention as we continue on. God made man and God made woman. And he gave them the mandate to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And of course, we know the story, replenish the earth they did. People got to the business of finding love and marriage and the race multiplied. We learn, however, not long after the creation of marriage that things went horribly wrong. Not with marriage itself as an institution as much as with you mankind. For while placed in Gan Eden, while placed in paradise, things went awry. Sin made its entrance onto the stage of the human drama. The race was vitiated, defiled, and the rest is history. And evidence of things going wrong is attested in the way men and women treated each other. Well, we know that Cain killed Abel, and then we see in the Genesis narrative that one of Cain's offsprings, Lamech, went on and killed a man himself. In fact, he boasts to his wives of having done so. 
Last I checked, the Bible says that a man was to be joined to his wife, not joined to his wives. Things went bad, and this interest in, in acquiring women is evidenced of a world gone bad. To be sure, there's natural desires, sexual desires between a man and a woman, but this acquisitiveness, this unbridled lust for the more is going to be humankind's undoing. In the Bible, God made man. I want to show you this on the screen with a little Hebrew lesson. The word for man in Hebrew is ish, aleph, yud, shin, ish. The Hebrew for woman is the word isha, aleph, shin, hey. The letters common between them are the aleph and the shin, but if you look again at the Hebrew, you'll see the letter yud. And if you look at the Hebrew for isha, woman, you'll see the letter hey that are unique to each. The letter yud and the letter hey in Hebrew form the prefix for God. It's an abbreviated form of Jehovah, hence the understanding that it's God. It's with God that women and men are brought together. In much the same way, absent God from the equation, what we're left with is something else. In fact, if you take Yud and He out of the words Ish and Isha, you'll see on the screen you're left with the letters Aleph and Shin. This is the Hebrew for fire. You might recall Paul saying once that, that God brings men and women together and that it's better to marry than to burn. You take God out of the equation and what you're left with is fire. Well, marriage as an institution is on fire. What I wanna do is take you to the biblical text and show you how we can extinguish it by bringing biblical water to bear to help individuals understand this great institution, what we call marriage. I believe that it's important for marriage to endure beyond love's first impulses. For as we mature, better that we go through life together. To help facilitate stronger bonds, I think we do well to look at the beginning of the bond, uh, the, the biblical instruction for it, in fact. And uh, Genesis chapter 2 is the go-to place. And so if you will open up your Bibles, please. I'm going to read from mine. And therein we find a lonely man. Back in verse uh, 18 of the second chapter, starts off, O Yomer Adonai Elohim, and God said, and what does he say? He says what we all know without him saying it, that it is not good for man to be alone, and I will make him a helpmate. There's a desire to find that other half. And here that's given expression to in the biblical literature. You know, Adam doesn't know what that other half's going to be, so God puts him to sleep and he's going to wake up and discover someone beyond his wildest dreams. It's a beautiful story, and there's a point in the story that's worth underscoring. In verse 23, the man is woken up, and he, his eyes alight upon Cheva, upon Eve. And we're told, he says here, Vayomer hadam He looks at her, and he says, that's what I'm talking about. He says, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Look how attracted he is. You can just feel the energy in his voice. Lezot yikore isha. She shall be called woman. And why? Well, we're told ki meish lakachazot because this woman came forth from the man. 
And then there's some embellishment on top of this that's worth noting seriously. We're told then, al kein razavish et yetimo. And therefore, a man leaves his father and his mother inasmuch as she was separated from him. Separation is underscored that a man and a woman leave their family of origin. And we're told, v'davak ishto, and they cleave, that Adam cleaves to his wife, v'hayu levosarachad, and they become one flesh. And you know what the secret to that one flesh is? It's commitment, learning to love, learning to go through life together from adolescence and beyond as we continue on in our series on women of the Bible. Our resource for this week, Zola's Introduction to Hebrew. This 400-page text progresses gradually, so even the faint-hearted will find value in it, but robust enough that dedicated students are equipped to read, speak, write and understand Hebrew. When you contact us, ask for our free monthly newsletter, The Levitt Letter, which is full of insightful articles and news commentary. Call 1-800-WONDERS or visit us at levitt.com. We just want to say thank you for helping us bring you series on men and women of the Bible. This was first, actually the series that we're in right now was produced back in 2007, but it's still relevant for all of us today. Very much so, and we like to focus on mothers, and for our mother figure, we picked Hannah, Hannah. And we're gonna go to Israel now for her story. My son, I know we were together only for a short time, but you are always in my heart. I think of you daily, And you may not understand now, but I made a vow to Yahweh that if he would turn my affliction and give me a son, I would give the child back all the days of his life. That is why you live in the house of Elohim and serve the priests. Listen carefully and obey them for it is their charge to teach you the ways of Yahweh. Samuel, I will always be your mother, and you will always be my son. Wear this to keep you warm and to remember me when you are lonely. As the book of 1 Samuel, or Shmuel, begins, Yerushalayim, Jerusalem, is in the hands of the Jebusi, the Jebusites. David is soon to come, but he doesn't appear in the narrative yet. In fact, there is no king in, in Israel. The Jewish people don't have a central leader. There is no capital city. What you have are individuals living out in various farming communities. They live in villages. They live in humble homes, just like Alkanah here. Uh, the Bible isn't well studied. Some like this fellow are given to the study of Scripture, but by and large, it's been neglected for years. But still, there are righteous souls trying to eke out an existence and find some security in a rather insecure world. Here in Ephraim, there was a man, Elkanah, who had a wife, Penina, and a wife, Hannah. 
Hannah is particularly noted to be a beautiful woman, a sincere, devoted woman, but she's just given over to trouble. She lived a rather uh, rural existence, you know, they, they farmed, they, uh, they learned to domesticate livestock and use it, they gathered the fruits of the earth. In effect, they live a peasant life, they didn't expect much, but a woman still expects love, and it's not too much to ask to find love from a man, and it's not too much to ask for children. Ohana was a broken woman. We learned this story in 1 Samuel, how she's so very vexed. Not only is she unable to bear a child, she's really un unable to bear the angst generated because her rival, the other woman in the house, is given to childbearing and is forever putting a thorn in the side of Hannah. Why is that? Because her husband loved her so very much. He loves her even though she doesn't have a child. And uh, he even says to her at one point, dear, he says, am I not worth more to you than 10 children? You know, at one hand, I can appreciate his sentiments, but the answer in truth is, no, you're not. Why is that? Because she was driven so much for a desire to bear. And what does she do? I'm sure you can recall the story. She goes to the, uh, the tabernacle. The, uh, the, 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 the Mishkan, this worship center that was set up and long since neglected, and there she prays, God, please, I beg you, please, please give me a child, and if you do that, I will dedicate that child to you. You know what happens? She does just that, and God does just that. She's going to conceive a child. Oh, marvelous is this woman. And there's a beautiful story that unfolds here of a woman's love for a child. And this is our beginning point as we consider motherhood, this sacred act of bringing life into the world. And we'll consider this as we study the Torah on motherhood. What does the scripture say? This is quoting Hannah, who's there beseeching God at the Mishkan, saying that if you'll but give me a child, I'll give him back to you all the days of his life. This in the Shmuel text is the equivalent of what we find in the Matean Gospel, where Yeshua, where Jesus is on record saying, if you'd seek first the kingdom, I'll give everything else to you. This woman is saying, God, I want to put you first. And she says that believing that God is going to in fact act on her behalf. I think it's very interesting for a variety of reasons, one of which is here you're looking in the Hebrew Bible and discovering a woman who is authorized to make a vow. This to me is reflective of a number of things, one of which is the fact that she isn't construed as simply the love slave of the male in her life, nor is she simply domestic help to work around the home and serve the family's various material needs and interests. To be sure, she does bear children, and yes, she helps around the house, but this is a woman that's empowered. She's authorized in various ways. This is evidenced, in fact, because later on, when it comes time to fulfill the vow, her husband Elkanah says, well, shall we now give this child over the Lord as per your vow? And she says, tis not the time. And she, in effect, is told by him, listen, do whatever your pleasure is, do what seems best. Here again, there's an example where a woman has social power. And this is striking. Today, I've discovered uh, in a past career as a police officer, many examples of men who neglect and abuse women, who treat them as property to push them around. 
And I observe in the world today as well that some religious traditions seem to sanction a vision of a woman as just the property of a male, a love slave, someone to do his material bidding. The Hebrew Bible, however, casts the vision for a woman of worth, a woman of value. This is evidenced in creation, in fact, where we discover that she is made from Adam and in some sense then is her equal, not just his property. I'd like to sit down and take you to uh, the time when Moses stood up and delivered the luchos, the commandments. You might recall he goes to Har Sinai, to Mount Sinai, and he comes down with the luchos, with the commandments, with these, uh, the table of ten. Principle in that table is a mandate. It's observed in the book Shemot in Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, therein the Israelites were told to honor your father and your mother. It's extremely important not just for men to honor their, um, their wives, but it's important for the children to honor the father and the mother. And the reason why I want to underscore mother here for the young is because later on, when this is repeated in Vayikra in Leviticus, there in the 19th chapter, the order is reversed. Uh, uh, Moses there reiterates and says, this time, honor your mother and your father. Hence the importance of valuing a mother. Inasmuch as we see women so vested in, in the, uh, the, the care of their young, so it is imperative upon the males of the species to value the mother and for the children of the species to value the mother. This is underscored in the Hebrew Bible with the notation that one must needs do so in order for their days to be prolonged upon the earth. This is one of the few of the 613 examples where there's instruction and then it says do this in order that you may be successful in life. This point is underscored beautifully, it seems to me, in the Hebrew Bible in the book Devarim. Devarim in Hebrew means the words. It's known as Deuteronomos from uh, the, the Greek meaning second law. Therein in the 22nd chapter, there's what seems to be an insignificant story. Here, Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses is on record saying that if you walk along the path and stumble upon a nest, or if not on the path, if you see a nest that just happens to be upon the ground, one that fell from a tree branch, and as this one here has fallen and eggs have fallen out, here the instruction is that if a person is walking along the path or discovers a nest and that person says, I want to eat the young, the person is told that if the mother bird is around, they are not allowed to touch the eggs. The instruction in 22, 6 and 7 is that one must needs shoo away the mother and after doing so, then the person can take the eggs. And after this law, one of the 613, it says, do this in order that your days might be prolonged upon the earth. Here we're looking at the few examples, Spartan texts, where there's a commandment to do this in order that you may prosper. And why is that? So sacred is the bond between a child and a parent that it extends not just to humans, but to the smallest of creatures, the birds. 
the Hebrew child is instructed that the relationship between a mother and a child is sacred. And so it is that the children must need honor, respect, and help the mother. If this boy learns this at a young age, you know what's going to happen? Inasmuch as he's learned to honor his mother, he's going to grow up and you know what? He's going to honor his wife. Would we not do well to open up the Hebrew Bible and come to terms with the obligations to honor the women in our world, our daughters, our mothers, our wives? There are so many things about Hannah's story that speak to me. And I have to say, one of the things I love about her is she was extremely bold. She went into a man's world. She went into the tabernacle and she wasn't supposed to, but she was bold to call on God for what she needed. Yes, and to me fascinating, the male in the story, uh, the priest was just a worthless piece of human wreckage, clueless, didn't even know what a praying woman looked like, and he's supposed to be in charge of the religion. She certainly is a hero in that story, and she gave birth to a hero of the story, Samuel, uh, who really gets the ball rolling in the change of dynamics in biblical literature. This woman was incredible, and she was at a certain place in time, and she was a significant personality. Can I say this too, that we sure. were just in that spot in Shiloh where, she, where all that took place. And I know that you have some amazing moments in Shiloh where all that happened. I do, that's one of my favorite places. Uh, they say that, you know, Hakotel or the Western Wall is the closest to where the Holy of Holies was. But in Shiloh, you can, you're right there where the tabernacle stood for hundreds of years. And uh, we don't think about that spot much, but that's where Hannah went in and she was bold before God and said, please give me a son. I'll give him back to you, but this is what I want. That's right. The tabernacle was there for hundreds of years. And to your point, a lot of people in trying to understand what life is all about, uh, what gender is all about, uh, a lot look internally and they look to the future and they look at the present. We, we want to look at the past. We think that uh, it's important to look at the book and what's modeled in there, uh, what's taught there, and to bring that forth. We think it would uh, alleviate a lot of confusion that exists in modernity. What do you think? Well, I agree, and I, I've got to jump back to the beginning of the program real quick. You talked, you know, we're teaching on Eve, mm. and we give Eve a bad rap. You know, she ate the apple or she ate the fruit. But I, we have all these self-help things right now in the world. And she hears Eve dealing with hormones and there wasn't anyone else to learn from to what a, what a woman is like. And I think she did the best she could. I'm, I'm less inclined to be overly critical of her in part because even in the literature, the instruction, don't eat the fruit, she wasn't around then. It was her old man that heard it. There's a fail to deliver the information. Uh, he's ultimately responsible for it. Uh, sadly, individuals laid the blame of the problem in the human species on womankind because of Eve, but I think that's overly simplistic and problematic. Ooh, this is good. Yeah. It's good stuff. There, there's more women coming in this series. Please stay tuned, but it's time to go now. We leave you with this. Sha'alu Shalom Yerushalayim. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Join us right now for additional content that is only available on our social media sites. Visit our website, levitt.com, for the current and past programs.
the television schedule, tour information, and our free monthly newsletter, which is full of insightful articles and news commentary. View it online or we can ship it directly to your mailbox every month. Also on our website is the online store. There you can order this week's resource or you can always give us a call at 1-800-WONDERS. Your donations to Zola Levitt Ministries helps us to support these organizations as they bless Israel. Please remember we depend on tax-deductible donations from viewers like you.